So hello everyone, time for another Military History Verbalized podcast. Our guest today is Francis Pullen, who is a specialist on the T-35. Francis, can you tell you a little bit about your background, please? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Francis Pullen. I am 23 years old from Brighton, England. Um, I'm a military historian and uh, I've written three books so far. The uh, My first book was Fallen Giants, the combat debut of the T-35A tank, which is what I'm here to discuss. And then upcoming releases of uh, the T-34 Continuum and Soviet light tanks, Moscow to Madrid. Uh, I also write for the military history website, tanksencyclopedia.com. Excellent. So basically, multi-turreted tanks are quite... Well, they were there for a very short amount of time. There were a few British ones. It was the Neuberfahrzeug for the Germans with a handful. And of, of probably the best known is the T-35. What was the basic idea between behind these multi-turreted tanks? Was it something along the land cruiser things, so basically going from ship combat and seeing, okay, multi-turrets make sense there? Or was there some other idea behind this? Uh, so basically, every country had a slightly different idea behind their tank designs. Uh, for the Soviet Union, the idea was uh, you'd have heavy breakthrough tanks that would uh, assault an enemy defensive position, uh, break through it, and this would allow the smaller, lighter, faster tanks to then exploit that breakthrough. So the T-35 was primarily designed to assault um, soft target lines and combat the bunkers and this sort of thing. Uh, so if if the Soviets were attacking uh, an enemy position, they would send in a, the T-35 primarily. And the idea is it's so big, it's got so many turrets that it can engage multiple targets at once. And once it's successfully dealt with those and moved forward, the smaller, lighter BT-2, BT-5 can exploit this breakthrough and move into the enemy's rear and cause havoc. I mean, you mentioned BT-2 and BT-5. When around was it designed and put into action? Um, so the earliest look ideas, Soviet ideas for uh, heavy breakthrough tanks dates back to 1931 with a vehicle, to call, a vehicle called the uh, TG tank. Uh, it was designed by a man called Ernst Grotter, um, who was a German engineer who obviously, due to the Versailles Treaty, couldn't design tanks in uh, Germany. So... He agreed to come to the Soviet Union and design tanks there. Um, so in 1931, they built this this TG tank and they test it. And Soviet High Command like it. They they actually think it's a really good tank. And for the time, 1930, it was a, a, a fantastic vehicle. Um, its biggest downfall, however, was it was incredibly expensive. It cost 1.5 million rubles to manufacture and to put that into some context that's the same as how much it would have cost to build 25 bt2 tanks which you know uh, is the exact same time frame we're looking at 1930 1931 uh, so the, the soviets have been looking at these these heavy tanks for a very long time uh, and then in 1932 um, the red army high command asked for a 35 ton heavy tank um, for the for the role as a heavy breakthrough tank, and that's where that's where we actually get the name T thirty five from. Uh, it was it was the weight specification. And did it saw did it saw combat actually in the Winter War? 
unfortunately it didn't uh it's quite a lot of people uh claim that it did but there is no evidence that they were uh involved in the winter war the majority of the t-35s uh at the end of 1939 and 1940 were at the kiev special military district so in ukraine there were a number of tanks however in moscow not not many and there were a few tanks at the saratov tank school and uh, on the outbreak of World War II, that's actually where we see most of them staying. So you had 48 tanks in the um, 8th Mechanized Corps in Ukraine. Uh, you had one tank in a landfill at Moscow, so it had been scrapped. Uh, another tank in Moscow military district. And then five tanks at the Saratov tank school. And a further five tanks uh, back in Kharkov being repaired. So the majority of these vehicles are in Ukraine. And there is where you will see combat and doing Operation Barbarossa, I suspect. Yeah, so uh, the T-35 was only ever used uh, in combat uh, during Operation Barbarossa uh, that we know of. I, I say that we know of because uh, famously uh, T-35s were photographed in Moscow during the defense of the city. However, there are no combat reports left. We assume that they were used in combat and were destroyed, but we've, we don't have anything. And again, um, the Saratov tank school is geographically close to Stalingrad, Voronezh area. And they were, you know, after the war, we've only got one tank left. And that was one of the, the, the vehicles at the Saratov tank school. So it's likely that these other vehicles were used in 42. Whether they were used in combat, we don't know. Whether they were used for training and scrapped, we, we really don't know, unfortunately. But the vast majority were lost uh, in Lvov and that area in June and early July 41, or in Kharkov in October. And how did the foreign combat, were there of any use, or were there basically big targets? Because, I mean, at that point, they were quite old already. Yeah, sure. Um it's interesting you say that because the Red Army were looking at um, getting rid of the T-35 as early as 1939. Um, there was some question whether they were going to turn them into mobile assault gun platforms or anti-aircraft platforms. And it was decided that they would stay as tanks and just be used in parades and stuff. But obviously the war catches up with that. And of the 48 tanks which are deployed in the 8th Mechanized Corps, so uh, they were in the uh, 67th and 68th tank regiments all of them were lost by July 7th 1941 and of those tanks depending cross-referencing the uh, photographs we have of the vehicles post-combat and cross-referencing that with uh, the documents which luckily enough have survived till today the official documents from the regiments uh, it would appear that only about nine were actually lost due to combat and the rest were all broke down or had accidents. So it had a really poor reliability problem. And in terms of combat effectiveness, is there anything known? So yeah, um, there's a really interesting engagement um, called the Battle of Verba, which took place on June 30th, 1941. Uh, Verba is a very small village, which is about uh, 80 kilometers to the uh, east of Lvov. At this village, um, the German 16th Panzer Division had several tanks laid up, as well as infantry from the 48th Motorized Division. Um, the 
they knew on Ju- uh, June 29th that the um, the Red Army was preparing a counterattack and further east, 200 Soviet vehicles were spotted by uh, aero reconnaissance. So the Germans knew that these the Russians were coming. And at the village of Verber itself, it actually turned out just to be a diversionary attack while the rest of the, the Russian forces headed south. Uh, but at the Battle of Verber, there were four T-35 tanks, one KV tank, two T-26s and two BT-7s. And this is the only time we see T-35 tanks go on the attack. And uh, they didn't do very well. The photographic evidence we have shows that the tanks were able to take a lot of hits. Um, one of the tanks in particular, chassis number 98816, is riddled with small 37mm holes from the Panzer Freeze that they were fighting. But all, of, all four of them were destroyed. Two of them were destroyed by aeroplanes. Uh, we think Stukas, we're not really sure. And, you know, that's, that's interesting in itself. It's such a big target that it would have, you know, the Stukas couldn't miss. And when these things were hit, you know, they went up in a spectacular explosion. So uh, of those four T-35s, two were destroyed through combat with anti-tank guns or, or tanks. Uh, one of them, we think, was knocked out by an 88mm flat gun. The other two were knocked out by air support. How, how strong was the armor, more or less? The, the armor on a T-35 is, is really, really thin. We're only looking at um, 25 to 30 millimeters, even on the conical turreted tanks. Uh, you, you've got to put it into perspective, however, of when these tanks were designed. So the first T-35A, the production vehicle, uh, was deployed in 1934. And by 1934 standards, 30 millimeters of armor is really good. Yeah. Um, anti-tank rifles have trouble piercing bats and light anti-tank weapons starting to look at being able to penetrate it but the idea is the vehicle is so big that it's actually really difficult to to hit a vital area being yeah. so big and even in 41 we sort of see that with um the photographs of the ones that did fight um as i said earlier uh, 98816 um it was eventually taken out by an 88 millimeter flat gun which we think hit the main turret but if you look at the vehicle in photographs, it's just peppered with, with, with hits that have penetrated and might have done some damage to a particular area, but the vehicle is so big, it can just continue fighting. That's not to say that it was any good, because it absolutely yeah. wasn't. <laughs> but it was still quite impressive and probably had an effect on, on the enemy. Um, in this regard, since so many of them broke down, I assume that the Wehrmacht captured some. Did they use them at all? Because I think I know pictures where Wehrmacht soldiers posed with uh, posed with the T-35. Were, were they using them or they were, were they burnt up for scrap or did they just leave them around because, I mean, they were quite big also heavy to transport? Do you know anything about this? Yeah, sure. So the vast majority of T-35s, when they were captured, uh, either intact or post-combat, simply were left where they sat. For some reason, the Germans decided to dismantle them as time went on. So in, I'm a photograph collector by trade, and in 1941, uh, the photographs we get of these tanks are them in perfect condition, like you know, as if the Russians had just given them to them. But by the end of 42 and 43, 
all of the skirting of the tanks had been taken off or you know everything had been stripped down and i'm assuming this was well scrap metal and just to stop the population from uh, from using them as well because there was somewhat of that threat about some of the t-35 tanks were used by the german army but they weren't used in a combat role so um two um soviet tank repair stations were captured in the villages of gorodok and sadnoa vizna uh, both of which were where t-35s were being repaired and at the repair center at gorodok um no my apologies the uh, repair center at sadnoa vizna um, the Germans actually used the tanks for infantry anti-tank training. Um, so the, the vehicles stayed where they were left in a sort of already dismantled state, but infantry practiced how to assault an enemy vehicle using these captured static vehicles. And they were actually blown up. Not all of them. Two of the three vehicles were, were completely destroyed in the training. Uh, another vehicle... Um, was used in a similar role but was actually taken away from where it was lost unfortunately we don't know where it was sent or how far away from where it was lost it, it, it traveled all we know is that um in early 42 it was still sitting on the roadside and then in early 43 we've got photographs of it driving and um, anti-tank mines are being placed onto the whole side. Now, the most interesting T-35 to be used by the Germans was the one that was actually captured within Lvov city itself. Um, and that was uh, chassis number 71562. The tank was captured in June 41, and over the winter of 41 was driven or towed, more likely driven, because we've got photographs of the Germans actually driving it, uh, to Lvov train station. And from Lvov train station, it was then shipped to uh, Kummersdorf, which is in just outside Berlin. It's the German ordnance um, Research Center, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, training Center. I think, yeah. A Heeresversuchsanstalt. I'm not entirely sure with the word, but I think it's the Heeresversuchsanstalt Kummersdorf. Sure. Um, and, and here it was uh, primarily used, it was, you know, inspected, me measurements on armor thickness were taken, and it was sort of like a, a, a trophy. And you can find many photographs of German officers inspecting the vehicle. Now, it only, it stayed as a, um, as a member of their collection all the way till 1945. And this is where things get really interesting. The collection at Kummersdorf, as the Soviets were approaching Berlin, was put to good use. Um, almost all the tanks came out of there and were used in a combat role, including this T-35. And what's even more brilliant is photographs have actually now surfaced in the last year of the vehicle being used by the Germans. They didn't use it in a direct combat role like they did, say, the T-34s or the Shermans that were there, but it was used as an observation post. And the photographs of, of the tank, the T-35, are uh, in a wooded area at a crossroads where all the armaments have been taken off. So it's got no main guns or machine guns. And instead, we think it's being used as an observation post. And it was captured by the advancing Soviets in late May, or sorry, early May of uh, 45. And this is, this is uh, you know, 
breaking news, as it were. Uh, there was some written accounts that maybe one of the T-35s was used by the Germans, but to actually have a photograph of it in the field being used as an observation post is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's quite insane, actually. I mean, <laughs> that tank for like four years and then in the defense of Berlin or around the defense of Berlin. I mean, I saw pictures of of British World War One tanks in, in Berlin. Yeah, and yeah, there's a um, famous photograph of those two Mark Vs outside the Reichstag. Yeah, exactly. And and people, and I mean, I, I never read in a book only online, so I don't know if anything is true or valid or something. And some people note that they don't know if they were used just for patrolling or even for actually fighting there. Yeah, I mean... Um... It, the, you know, those last days of the, the Third Reich were very desperate and they did use anything that they had to hand. And maybe, you know, the fact that they did use uh, a T-35 and a T-28 um, in, in the defense of Greater Berlin maybe has brings credence to the idea they were used in combat. I mean, the, the Soviets in 1941 also used Mark V tanks in, in combat, uh, but that's another story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically at that point, they took everything they could get. I mean, um, just a point to add here on Kummersdorf, basically nearly everything was tested there at some point. For instance, the, the Stahlhelm, which was introduced in, in 1916, was also tested there because I recently read up on this. So for, for people who oh, don't wow. know this, everything in Germany basically at one point was when it was a weapon was in one way related in Kummersdorf. Wow, I didn't know that. I mean... Uh, my expertise is obviously the Soviet side, and uh, the Soviet Union's version of that is the Polygon, which most people know as Kubinka. You know, everything ah. that the Soviets ever did went through Kubinka, basically. So, in overall, I mean, the Germans tested it and they encountered it in battle. What was their opinion on it? Is there any written account or some experiences or diaries left on this? Uh, unfortunately, there there's very little... Um, written by the Germans uh, in in documents when it comes to uh, how they experienced the, the T-35. Um, there is combat reports from the fighting in Kharkov um, where they talk briefly about encountering a heavy tank and we know that that was one of the T-35s because it was lost um, in, a, in a particular district. However, all they mention is it was a, a heavy tank with five turrets. I'm very lucky in the sense I recently got speaking to a man whose grandfather um, was in the Wehrmacht and he was awarded the Iron Cross supposedly for destroying a T-35 near Moscow. Now, if that is correct, this is the first time ever that any new information on the Moscow T-35 has surfaced because... We've, we've got official Red Army photographs of the vehicle in December 41, and that's where the, the trail goes cold. Uh, so the, to, have, to have this gentleman say, my grandfather got the Iron Cross for destroying a T-35 with um, a mine, exp uh, handheld explosive, whatever, is great. Because apart from that, we don't really have any sort of report that the Germans made on the vehicle. Um, to be honest with you, it was mostly just an oddity. Um, there are loads of um, amateur photographs of German officers and non-commissioned officers crawling all over T-35s. Um, 
in my own personal collection, I've got a photograph of a guy called uh, Ferdinand Neuling, who was commander of one of the infantry divisions uh, in Armour Group Center uh, with two other high-ranking generals who I, I, I haven't been able to place, uh, crawling all over one of the tanks. Because, you know, it's just one of these weird oddities, you know. Yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine you know, the, them driving through these Ukrainian villages and coming across one of these behemoths and going, right, I want to have a look at this. Do you have this certificate for the for the Iron Cross? Is it still there? Um, I'm still talking to the gentleman, and um, due to uh, the fact that you know this sort of stuff is not looked upon highly in Germany, he's a bit protective of his identity and and this yeah. that and the other, which is fair enough. So yeah, it's quite understandable. Um, I mean, because if the unit and everything is known, you could basically probably track back uh do a backtracking to the archives and then look up the unit history the particular one well that's that's what we're trying to do it's just it's it's just mostly about you know asking politely and hoping that they're nice enough to say yeah sure i'll give you this information you mentioned quite a lot of chassis numbers so i assumed you did some very thorough job and tracking everything down so so how did you do this because usually people don't mention chassis numbers at all Sure. So um, the, the the beauty of the T-35 tank is uh, only 61 of them were, were manufactured. Um, so straight away, you're, you've got the advantage of uh, a very small pool of vehicles that any one individual could be if you see it in a photograph. And, and my passion for the T-35 comes from uh, modeling tanks. Um, when I was a lot younger, I discovered the T-35 through model kit form and immediately fell in love with of how strange it was and as i was building this model i suddenly realized you know that the model is inaccurate and the, the the decals i was given in the sh the um in the model didn't necessarily match what i was looking at on screen and other things were different so i decided to start looking into initially just the pictures of the different tanks and luckily for me um, i stumbled across a fantastic website uh, in russian which had already started to chronicle the chassis numbers of the tank. Um, and on this website, it displayed um, the original documents from the 67th and 68th tank regiments and um, the chassis number list from the Kharkov Locomotive Works, the factory that made the tanks. And through this, uh, which had already been started by uh, a man called Sergei Lotarev, I decided that I, I felt like I could continue um, this re this was started in like 2015, and his website hadn't been updated since 2012. So I just assumed it had, he had gone cold. Um, and I started purchasing these uh, original photographs of the tank because I, I I did decide at sort of at that point I wanted to write a book on it. And I was really lucky that uh, after about five months of of buying these photographs, I got an email from this man Sergey saying you know you've you've been bidding against me do you want to share collections and we can share information it was brilliant and uh between the pair of us since then we've been able to identify some some other chassis numbered tanks um and and locations and this is this is all done it is somewhat guesswork and unfortunately that's just the nature of the beast but we have it's the picture does sort of come together um so a really good example of this was uh, one of the, the tanks in my book, um, which 
uh, I do briefly talk about this story. T-35-234-35 uh, is listed in the losses of the 67th Tank Regiment as falling from a bridge, uh, burning with its crew um, in, in this village in Ukraine. And um, we didn't actually know where this was. Uh, it, it, it was a complete mystery. So for a long time, we sort of just had to guess uh, and google earth is a fantastic tool for this sort of work and um one of these vehicles the the 23435 came up on on ebay which is where i buy my photograph um so i, I won the pictures they came to my house and using a scalpel i peeled off the um, backing paper of the photograph to reveal writing from the guy that took the photograph and the uh, inscription on it was um 29 July by Steria Galicia, um, which translates to the 29th of July um, by Steri Galicia. And this area, there is an area of Ukraine which used to be called uh, Galicia. Yeah. And this, this was about 100 miles or, or 100 kilometers south of where we thought it might be. And it was kind of like, okay, this is, this is unusual. And we start looking at period maps and Google maps of, of the area. Um, so the, uh, the losses describe it as being um, uh, in this village of Ivanisti. I can't pronounce it. Ivan Ivsti. And uh, there, there is one of these villages with the same name near, near a town called Tarnopol. But there's also another one uh, near the town of Styri. So we started to think, well, hang on, maybe it's not the village we thought it was, maybe, uh, which doesn't actually have a bridge. So, you know, you look around the, the local area <laughs> and we start, we, yeah, and we started focusing in on this other village and lo and behold, there's two or three bridges around it. And one of them caught my eye in particular because just the road layout seemed very similar. So I decided to um, go on Facebook and look up this village to see if they had a community Facebook page. Now this particular um, village didn't, but the village next door did Zadiachiv. So I went on their, their Facebook page and I just put a little post saying, I'm a historian. I'm writing a book about the T-35. I think one of them was lost in the village next to you. Here are the pictures. Can anyone, can anyone recognize it? And I had, and not even 24 hours later, this woman replies saying, oh, my dad remembers seeing that tank. Uh, would you like me to ask him for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, um, she, she showed me on a map exactly where he said it was. And it pretty much matched up with where I thought it was. And it was like, wow, you know, this, this breakthrough, you know, from just looking at a picture and then cross-referencing it with what it said in the table of losses, you know, was able to to make a positive identification uh, and you know pretty much every single one of the tanks that that's in my book and uh, what sergey's done has got a similar story where um you know you look at a picture not necessarily just the picture what the german soldiers written on the back compare it with the losses and suddenly you can make a positive identification and this process is still going on today um as i said there were 61 tanks made and uh, 48 of them were in the 8th Mechanized Corps, 
but we've only got photographs of 50 tanks so there are 11 missing and of those 50 tanks we've only positively identified 45 so there are still five t-35s which we've got pictures of but we haven't been able to give it a location or a chassis number one or both um because this this document isn't 100 percent accurate unfortunately um but this, this it's, it's really interesting to sort of watch history unfold uh, just just from a little bit of investigating it's really really interesting yeah, I mean, this tracking down, this was also the, the aspect I, I, I really liked during, during my history studies. This was al always fascinating and, and gets me again and again sometimes when I find something and I, I can't make sense of it. And then I look, start looking at another book and another book. So, well, it, it, the, yeah, this is the thing. And, and I mean, I've been doing T-35s now for two years and I've still got a lot to learn. And you know the team that I'm working with because it's not just me um there's this guy called uh, as I said Sergei Lotarev wonderful man um Maxim Kumelitz the author also helps out um and there's a couple of other people in Russia who all are interested in finding out as much about the T35 as possible and you know they've been doing it for the last 10 15 years and even even they will find things which they didn't notice before so the most recent conversation we've had is about the um, antenna on the on the turret of the tank. So um, T-35s have got a really distinctive um, coined clothesline antenna that sort of encompasses circles and uh, the main turret. And on really close inspection of, of, of these antennas, some of them are slightly different, as in the placement of the um, arms that attach the antenna to the tank are we're only talking a, a, a matter of inches but are in different positions and through this we might be able to positively identify some of the tanks which don't have chassis numbers um so so there's two tanks lost in the village of gorodok um chassis numbers 22027 and 53780 and they are the, we've we've got two pictures of or, or we've got two tanks which we know have to be these chassis numbers but we just don't know which way round they are and then we look at the antenna placement on the feet and one of them is different to the other and now it's just a case of working out well which one of these patterns is earlier and this investigation is still going on and you know I've I've I in my mind I think I now know which ones which but we need a little bit more evidence before we can put our foot down and say yep yeah, this this is this chassis number and this is this chassis number it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of the joke i made in one of my videos with csi stalingrad yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and you know it, it's it's such a, it's quite difficult work in the sense of uh, the only primary source only primary sources we work with is the um, the axe losses of the tank regiments and then these original photographs? We we don't have anything else we can really draw off because uh, what else can you draw off? I mean, it, it's a, it's absolutely luck that the um, the documents or the losses have survived till today because obviously most of the paperwork was lost or is still in archives or what have you. So um, really, we 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 lucked out on that that side of it, and it's just so much fun. Um, you know for me it is rivet counting don't get me wrong but it's just so much fun discovering these new little 
bits and bobs which are different and then being able to say with certainty yeah this tank is this chassis number blah 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 blah. some people uh don't get a lot of interest out of rivet counting or what have you but if if we can contact the families of some of the crew then we will and Sir, Sergey, I know for a fact, has contacted the families of, of at least one of the tank commanders saying, you know, this is the work I'm doing and here's his tank in, in, in photograph form. And that's quite rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, to, you connect this finally to the people that, that, that also have a connection to this and, and pinpointing down. I, I, I mean... I know how, how cool it is to pin something down and to make, ah, okay, yeah, that's accurate. But I usually have it on a more a higher level, but, but pinning it down, chassis number and everything, I, I can imagine this is really rewarding and cool. I mean, I actually thought this could make a really interesting video or documentary that you have the examples how you track something down also because it's, it's also the, the process to see it work, how, how you think and how you how you um, determine where to go next and something like this detective work. I mean, it's, it's pretty similar to, to something like um, Columbo does. I'm not sure if probably everyone is too old to know Columbo. So basically, yeah, detective stories. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, um, maybe one day it's something we could, we could look at as a team, you know, to, to making some sort of video showing what we do. I mean, um, we're all, at the end of the day, uh, just enthusiasts and, and amateur historians, as it were. I mean, um, Maxim Kumelitz is, is quite a well-known published Russian author who's got something stupid like 150 books published. So he's, he's the most well-known of our group, but he's so busy doing other things. Uh, I don't talk to him a lot. Um, and Sergei, he works for like Moscow University. So he, we've all got... Unfortunately, we've all got our own jobs and stuff that we do outside of this. So I, I really wish I could spend, you know, all of my time nose deep in, in this researching and researching. But uh, yeah, and you know, if we, if we were to make a documentary in our work, it would mostly just be us staring at screens and staring at pictures and counting, yeah. counting rivets. <laughs> <laughs> outside of writing books and stuff, uh, I'm on a couple of teams that are looking after and restoring um, tanks, which is uh, really good fun. Um, so the first tank I'm restoring is uh, a T-34-76 owned by my friend Alex Hall. Um, and it's got so much history to the vehicle. And, you know, I, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I approach it from a purely historical angle. I can tell him what factory made it and, uh, you know, what years, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes at it from... The engineering side because when it when push comes to shove i couldn't tell you how a tank works i just i just know what they look like and uh but you get this really nice sort of combination so i can say oh you know uh, this this port here used to be where the whole radio was and he can be like oh well i've got this radio here and blah 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 and that that's such an interesting like clash of of of, of, of history and engineering which uh, you know i'm learning new stuff all the time uh, and then the second one i'm on is um a team looking after the really famous uh, Stompy Garden T-34. Yeah. And I've been lucky enough to um, get in that vehicle t twice or three times now. And um, again, I've learned so much just, just from playing with the vehicles themselves. But you would never learn just, just reading up about them. You know, you get in it and you see a certain handle and you wonder, what does this do? 
and you follow you follow it through oh it, it opens the radiator at the back that that sort of knowledge that hopefully will translate into my t34 book francis thank you very much i think we covered a lot of ground and i think you have some important events upcoming right yeah sure so um on july the 7th and 8th um i will be at the Capel Tank Show, which is just outside of Dorking in uh, Surrey, England. Uh, I'll be there to do a couple of talks on the T-34 tank. Uh, there's going to be uh, a few T-34s there, so uh, come and say hello. Um, I'll be there, smiles and all. And uh, then on July 22nd, and this is a really important one, uh, the Stompy Garden T-34, which is in... Uh, so at South London, near Elephant and Castle, uh, we'll be having an open day hosted by myself and uh, the gardener and some other historian friends of mine. Uh, it will be an opportunity to actually get inside of a Czechoslovakian manufactured uh, T-34 tank. Uh, Stompy never gets open for the public. So this is a really good opportunity if you want to see what a real T-34 looks like inside. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, I'll be giving talks, meeting people, showing people around the vehicle. Uh, we're making posters. I've got a model tank, which has got a full interior to demonstrate uh, all these different bits about the vehicle. So it'd be really great to see you guys there. So this is your chance to get your hands on a, on a T-34, guys. So take the opportunity. Also, we link Francis' book in the, in the description. So if you want to check it out. So thank you very much, Francis. No, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And everyone else, thank you for listening and hear you next time. Bye.